Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and the word proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. A lesson from the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 37, verses 1 through 4, and then 12 through 24. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that his father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come. I will send you to them. He answered, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and the flock, and bring word back to me. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron. He came to Shechem and found a man, and a man found him wandering in the fields. The man asked him, What are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please. Where are they pasturing the flock? The man said, They have gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. They saw him at a distance, and before he came near them, they conspired to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we shall say that a wild animal has devoured him, and we shall see what will, become, what, will, what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he delivered him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but lay no hands on him, for that he might rescue him out of their hands and restore him to their father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the long robe with sleeves that he wore, and they took him and threw him into the pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. A moment with any of the children who are in worship today. If you're here in the sanctuary, come join me up here if you'd like. You can bring a parent or friend if you want to. And if you're worshiping from home, just get a little closer to your screens. Come on down. It's good to see everybody. It's so wonderful to have a baptism today. Get to celebrate little Cosmo. Come on up. Good to see you. All right, what a great group. And hi, everybody online. We're glad you're with us, too. 
Well, we just got to celebrate the baptism of Cosmo, and we know that Bing and Bertie are his brother and sister. I bet some of you have brothers or sisters, siblings in your family. I have two sisters and one brother, and I'm the baby. I think I've told you that before. Sometimes we would argue with each other. Have you ever gotten in an argument with the brother or sister? Yeah, that happens sometimes. We have conflict with each other. But you know what? We're family, which means we're going to stick together and try to love each other. This story we just heard is about a man named Joseph. It's in the very first part of the Bible, the book of Genesis. And Joseph had 11 brothers and one sister. And his brothers really were not very nice to him, and they didn't like him. At the end of the story, it's pretty sad for Joseph. But you know what? As the story goes on, God is at work, and things happen, and Joseph turns out to be okay. And then one day, his brothers come back. And at first, they don't recognize Joseph because he's grown up so much. They think he's some powerful official who's going to get them into trouble. But at the end of the story, he says to them, no, it's me. Joseph, your brother, and he forgives them for being mean to him. I think God helped him to do that. So sometimes people hurt us, sometimes our family hurts us, and sometimes God can help us forgive them. The relationship may be different after that, but God helps us to forgive each other and to move toward love. And I'm thankful for that, because if I had to do it by myself, I don't know that I could, but I know God can help me. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for the story of Joseph and how you helped him to forgive his brothers and start fresh. We pray that you'll help us to learn how to forgive and to let go and to be kind in everything we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you're three, four, or five, you can go with Miss Emily or Pastor Maggie to Children's Church. And if you're older than that, you can go back and sit with parents or friends. So as many of you know, we are making our way through the Bible this year. This is our second week in the book of Genesis, and next week we're moving on to Exodus. So if you are reading along, we've had a lot of homework this week. If you'd like to join in, it's okay, you can on-ramp at any point, don't worry about it. But we are just spending two weeks in the book of Genesis. But as we go through the whole Bible, there are certain themes that... I might highlight for us as we go along. This morning, I want to point to one of those themes that will carry us through the scriptures as we make our journey. And that theme is shalom, God's shalom. It's a Hebrew word that is most often translated peace, but it means a lot more than peace, a lot more than just the absence of conflict. God's shalom is that state of being when everything is right with the world. When human beings are in right relationship with God, we are, when we are in right relationship with each other and right relationship with creation. 
We hear the prophets giving us visions of God's shalom. We heard some of those texts during Advent, when the wolf shall lie down with the lamb, when nations shall beat their swords into plowshares and there shall be no more weeping and no more crying on God's holy mountain. We hear Jesus talk about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, that state of being when all is in right relationship. And we see images at the very end of the scriptures in the book of Revelation, when all the nations of the earth gather at the mountain of the Lord and worship and sing with one voice. And the tree that grows in that place has leaves for the healing of all the nations. So we have put before us, starting in the garden, this image of God's shalom. We were in the garden last week with Adam and Eve and those two stories of creation. And we saw how when God created the heavens and the earth and humankind and all of the animals, all was in right relationship. Adam and Eve communed with God and took walks in the cool of the day. They had all the food that they could possibly need. They were charged with tending it and being good stewards of it. God's shalom. But it didn't take long before things got wonky. When God's shalom was disturbed by the humans who chose their own way, who took a bite of that fruit because they wanted to be like God. They didn't trust God. They didn't think the garden was enough. They were dissatisfied with the way things were. And that set us on a different kind of road than the one God had planned. And so we see throughout the generations of the scriptures the different ways that God is trying to manifest God's shalom and how we humans are always getting off track and resisting it. It happens right away in the story of Cain and Abel, the two sons of Adam and Eve. Cain looks upon Abel with jealousy, and so he kills his brother. And God comes looking for Abel, and Cain says, Am I my brother's keeper? That too is a question that rings out over the scriptures. Am I my neighbor's keeper? We'll hold that before us too on our journey. But in generation after generation in the book of Genesis, we we see the, the lack of shalom lived out in family relationships. There is conflict in every generation, from Cain and Abel to the sons of Noah to Sarah and Hagar, to Jacob and Esau wrestling in the womb, Isaac and his half-brother Ishmael, Rachel and Leah, the 12 sons of Jacob. And today we hear their story and their broken relationship. And the word shalom actually shows up in this Joseph story a few times. And I want to point those out to us. Let me give a real quick bird's eye view of the Joseph story in case you haven't read it, in case you haven't heard it. I encourage you to go home and read Genesis 37 to 50 to read the whole story for yourself. But Joseph was the 11th son of Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons and one daughter. And the problems begin when this verse rings out. Jacob loved Joseph more than all of his other children already family problems in the making, favoritism. And it is because of that 
that he's given this special robe to show everyone that he's Jacob's favorite, that his brothers cannot speak shalom to him. They cannot speak a kind word to him. Their shalom in their family is broken by this favoritism. Now, there's a part of the story that was left out this morning, which is the dreams of Joseph. Joseph has these dreams that we learn as the story unfolds are really dreams given to him by God. He's given the ability to dream and to interpret dreams. And he is guileless enough or arrogant enough, perhaps, to tell his brothers his dreams. So I had this dream that we're all harvesting wheat, and suddenly my sheaf of wheat rose up, and all of your sheaves of wheat bowed down to mine. That's not going to go well. So that caused them even deeper hatred of Joseph. He has another similar kind of dream that even involves his father and mother bowing down to him. His father doesn't like that much either. So the day comes when the other brothers are out watching their flocks. And Jacob, the father, sends Joseph to go check on his brothers. Check on their shalom. Let me know if it is going well with them. So Joseph goes out and looks for his brothers. He is seeking the shalom of his brothers. But when they see him coming, their hatred rises up, and ten of them, no, nine of them, decide they want to kill him. But there are two brothers. We heard Reuben in the text that was read, but also Judah. Two older brothers who say, no, let's not kill him. Reuben suggests we put him in this pit so that he can come back later and rescue Joseph and bring him back to his father. So they do. They put him in this pit where, as we heard in the text, there wasn't even water. And we have this image of the 11 brothers sitting around the edge of this pit, and they sit down to eat while their brother Joseph is sitting in the pit without even water. Now, that's not an image of broken shalom. If that's not an image that goes against being my brother's keeper, I don't know what is. It's depicted in the picture in front of your bulletin. These brothers gathered around the pit as their other brother is suffering. And they're eating and feasting. Later in the story, it's Judah who comes up with the idea, let's let's not kill him, let's sell him to this group of traders who are coming by. And so they do that. They sell their brother for a bag of silver coins. Now, if that doesn't ring a bell, we'll hear that come up again in Jesus' betrayal. And he's sold into slavery in Egypt. And that's where the story ends for a little while. But God is with Joseph, and because he has dreams and is an interpreter of dreams, and I'm skipping a whole lot of the story, by the way, Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, gets word about Joseph Because Pharaoh has had these dreams that he can't interpret, and so they bring Joseph to him. The Pharaoh tells Joseph his dreams. I've had these dreams, and Joseph says, here's what it means. There will be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine, and you need to reserve crops during the years of plenty so there will be enough to feed everybody during the famine. And Pharaoh finds Joseph so wise and trustworthy that he makes Joseph his right-hand man. And Joseph becomes the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. 
And when it comes time to the years of famine, the famine spreads so far that it hits Joseph's family, Jacob, and Joseph's brothers and sister and all their children. And so they come to Egypt to beg for food. And they find themselves standing in front of and bowing before Joseph. But they don't know it's Joseph. And there's this wonderful scene after a little bit of back and forth where Joseph reveals himself to his brothers and he weeps so loudly that all of Egypt can hear his weeping. And he forgives them and he says to them, don't hold on to your guilt any longer. I know you meant me harm. You meant to do me harm, but God used it for good. God used these circumstances that we broke to bring about shalom and to feed everyone. So there's so many ways that this story of Joseph can speak into our lives. At one level, they can just remind us that no matter how broken and dysfunctional our families are, God is still at work, and God can still bring about redemption in unexpected ways. But as I read this story this week, I thought not just in terms of our nuclear families and extended families, but of the human family. If we learn anything in the creation story, it's that we are all one family, all created in the image of God. And yet, in how many different ways do we break God's shalom? In how many different ways do we fail to be one another's keeper? and fail to see one another as brothers and sisters and siblings. I think about another dreamer. As we come to this weekend when we celebrate Martin Luther King Jr., he had a dream. And like Joseph's dream, his dream in many ways disrupted the status quo and the power structures Joseph was saying, I, the 11th brother, am going to rule over you in a way. Dr. King's dream was not about him ruling over everyone, but, but about all being equal in God's eyes. That it's an image of God's shalom. I have a dream, he said, that all would be valued, that all would have dignity and an opportunity to flourish. And like Joseph, there were those in Dr. King's day who wanted to kill the dream and silence the dreamer. And eventually they did. But the dream carried on because it was not Dr. King's dream. It was God's dream. It was God's shalom. The same dream the prophet spoke of, the same dream we long for and pray for and work toward. The kingdom of God, Dr. King called it the beloved community. And just as we see in the story of Joseph, we see the work of God in the messiness of humanity moving us ever closer to God's shalom. As Dr. King said, the arc of the universe is long, but it bends toward justice. It bends toward shalom. It bends toward the beloved community. So the invitation I hear in this story of Joseph among many is to pay attention to the dream and to be part of the reconciling work that God is doing in our world. To not be satisfied with sitting up and feasting while my brothers and sisters and siblings might be sitting in a pit with no water, 
but to do everything I can in ways big and small, and I can't do it all, none of us can, but to do my part to manifest God's shalom. And then to trust that God is at work in all of it. And when my time to leave this earth comes, the work will not be done, but God will not be finished either. Thanks be to God.